Hey there, welcome to the Seek Podcast. My name is Josh and I'll be guiding this tour through the scripture today. Matthew 7, 8 tells us that who asks receive, those who seek find, and to those who knock the door will be opened. We're all seeking something, whether it be understanding, wisdom, a closer relationship with God, or just something different than the normal day-to-day humdrum. Join me for a few minutes together in scripture while we find what we're seeking. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So thanks for listening today and inviting Jesus to come among us. Full disclosure, I'm not a preacher, never been to seminary. This podcast is just a representation of my thoughts and beliefs. So let's spend a few minutes hanging out, reading the Bible, and praying together. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Seek Podcast. I hope by now you've all found your way over to the site for the show at seekpodcast.show, where I post each episode, the show notes, and a transcript from every episode. Uh, and remember, you can always send me any comments or questions or suggestions uh, directly to me at seekpodcast.gmail.com. Yes, it's a Gmail account. I don't make any money doing this show. I don't ask for donations or gifts right now. So everything that you see in here is of my personal doing. That being said, I am not a professional producer, and I'm not paying for a fancy email address right now. I'm just a guy who loves Jesus, and I want to use this as an an avenue, as as another way to share the Word of God. All right, today we're going to take a look at Psalm 23. Sometimes I hear people use the term sheep. Someone's a sheep. Look at those. There's like sheep. Uh, And they use that to describe someone that they, they don't like or someone who follows a person blindly, typically somebody that they disagree with. And, uh... I want to take this moment and proudly state that I am a sheep. And I am under the care of the Good Shepherd. And I couldn't be more proud of that. And uh, let's just go ahead and open with a prayer and then we'll get into all this. Lord, thank you for your tender care and your discipline over our lives. Thank you for your comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that as a sheep in your good care, that I produce abundant return for your investment into me. Amen. All right, let's read Psalm 23 uh, in the NIV. <clears throat> it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I'll walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, that's the NIV. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think I might like the King James Version of that one a lot better. Um, Let let me just take a second and and gather my thoughts here, because uh, I recently finished uh, a really great book on this scripture, and it's given me a whole new outlook on it. And the book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it was written by W. Philip Keller. I'll put a link to the book um, on on the website under the show notes for you if you're interested. If you've not read it, I really encourage you to do so. It's a fantastic book, and it just opened my eyes to a lot of what the Scripture is really talking about. Mr. Mr. Keller was a shepherd, and he wrote this book uh, from the point of view of what what all being a shepherd entails and, and some of what David is referring to in the passage. As I'm sure you're aware, David was a shepherd. Uh, When Samuel came to anoint David as the king of Israel, he wasn't even at the house. He was out in the fields tending to the flock. Uh, So so David is intimately aware of what it means to be a good shepherd. 
And part of the scripture is written from the point of view of the sheep, and the other part is directed at uh, uh, at the shepherd uh, directly. So the success in the life of a sheep is completely dependent on how good the shepherd is and how much he cares about his sheep. So let's look at this passage and, and what the book says about it. So, so David opens with, The Lord is my shepherd. In John ten eleven, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So how amazing is that? As, as the book notes, um, and it's stated in Colossians 1, 15 and 16, that the Son is the image of God, and through him all things were created. And that is who our shepherd is. And he calls me his sheep. Just let that sink in for a minute, how powerful that is, that the creator of all things, the thing, the person that all good things flows from, calls him your caretaker and says that you are his. The creator of all things, the king of the universe is your caretaker in whom your entire life depends. That's amazing to me. Um, Could we have a better shepherd than that? I don't think so. So when David says the Lord is my shepherd, it's, it's not a clever saying. He's literally saying that I am in the care of the king, the creator of all things. And as the book also notes, it's as if he's, he's bragging to everyone, um, look at who my shepherd is. And I share that same feeling of joy. It, it's not that we just belong to him as with any shepherd in their flock. We were bought and we were bought at the highest price. Remember in John ten eleven, Jesus says that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We were bought and paid for with the life of Jesus, and more correctly, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's interesting that throughout the Bible, we're referred to as sheep and, and Jesus as the shepherd. And I don't think that that's by chance. The author notes that sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. And that is so true about us, isn't it? As the psalm goes on in, in verse 1 to say, I lack nothing or I shall not be in want. As Keller points out, it's absurd to assert that we will never experience lack or need. And Jesus spoke to his disciples about hardships that they would face, but he also reassured them that he has overcome the world. Keller also points out that even those uh, who truly lack no material things don't have the I shall not be in want that David's referring to. As is pointed out in the scripture in Revelations 3.17, you say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But what you do not realize is that you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Now you see, the lack-nothing attitude that David's talking about goes much deeper uh, than cool TVs and fast cars. David is referring to being content in every situation because he's satisfied with the care that he's receiving. Philippians 4, 11-13, Paul reminds us what it means to be content in any situation when he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so what David's saying with the, the Lord is my shepherd, is I shall not be in one, is that, is that I, the sheep, am completely satisfied and contented with his management of my life. Verse 2 starts with, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This is another line I used to read and think, oh, cool, that sounds comfortable. I don't know about the whole makes me lie down thing. Why can't you just lay down when you want to? So Keller opened my eyes yet again to a deeper meaning in this part of the passage. He says that, It's almost impossible to make a sheep lie down unless there are four requirements met. One being the fact that they're timid animals, um, and they'll refuse to lay down unless they have no fear. 
Another requirement is that they're very social animals and they won't lay down if there's any friction between them. So if they're being pestered by flies or other insects, they won't lay down. And the last thing that he points out is that if sheep are hungry, they won't lay down. So Keller goes on to point out that it's interesting that sheep won't lie down unless they are free from fear, free from hunger, no tensions or aggravations. And it's only the shepherd who can provide release from those anxieties. So what David's pointing out is that Jesus, the good shepherd, frees him from all of his anxieties and gives him the opportunity to rest. The next, next line of the passage is one of my favorites. Uh, now that I understand what, what is behind it, he, he leads me beside quiet waters. In the book, it's noted that water for sheep typically comes from one of three places, dew on the grass, wells, or streams. And he goes on to say that sheep by habit rise just before dawn and start to feed because it's in those very early hours of the morning when the grass is drenched with dew and the sheep can, fit, uh, can keep fit with the amount of water that they get while eating in the early morning hours. And he points out dew's clear, clean, pure source of water. And for the sheep to be able to do that, the shepherd himself will have to get up before dawn and be out there in the pasture with the sheep. So what strikes me about this line is what he points out next, because I find it to be very true in my experience with other people. He says, um, in the Christian life, it's more, it's of more than a passing significance to observe that, that those who are often the most serene, most confident, and able to cope with life's complexities are those who rise early each day to feed on God's word. It's in the quiet early hours of the morning that they are led beside the quiet still waters where they imbibe the very life of Christ for the day. Now, the people I know who are up early every day reading and praying are pretty much as he described. And I know that I am when I'm up early reading and praying. Uh, there's no distractions. There's no pounding thoughts about what's gone on during the day. There's no aggravations yet. Uh, it's just me at the table getting sustenance. And now I'm not or normally an early riser unless I have somewhere to be, but on occasion, I'm awake early uh, before everybody else in the house. And at times, I've gotten out of bed, uh, read my Bible, spent time in prayer, and I feel so prepared for the day. I feel, I don't know, for a lack of better words, fool. Right? If you haven't tried that, I'll encourage you right now to get up early tomorrow and read some scripture and talk with God before you start into anything else. And just see how your day goes. I bet it's better than normal. I wish that I had the discipline to do it every day, honestly. Keller draws an interesting picture regarding the next verse. He restores my soul. And I've wondered about that line. Uh, and his explanation makes really good sense to me. He acknowledges the question and says, basically, how could someone in the care of the good shepherd need their soul restored? And then follows that up with, it happens. Uh, and it does happen, right? He references Psalm 42.11 where David cries out, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And Keller shows the similarity with sheep here. There's an old English term for a sheep that has turned over on its back um, and it can't get up on its own. And that term is a cast or downcast sheep. And he notes it's not only the shepherd who keeps a lookout for those cast sheep, also the predators. What easy prey that would make, right? A sheep stuck on its back, uh, for, or, or for the enemy, a child of God stuck in a bad place. And we get there. We, we find those bad places. Um, Keller goes on to draw some parallels between us and sheep as well, and he talks about the things that cause a sheep to be cast down, things like finding a soft spot to lay down. He says, when a, when a sheep lay in a soft, rounded hollow in the ground, it's easy for them to end up on their backs and not be able to roll over. As with us, it's pretty dangerous to live a life always looking for the easy button or staying buried in our comfort zone. And he goes on with, uh, sometimes a sheep is cast because it has too much wool. It can get matted with all kinds of stuff, manure, dirt, leaves, sticks, whatever, and become very heavy. And he points out that, the, that wool in the Bible depicts our old self-life, um, the outward expression of an inner attitude. 
and the assertion of my own desire and hopes and aspirations. So he points out that it's not a coincidence that the high priests were never allowed to wear wool when they entered the Holy of Holies or, or the inner chambers of the temple. So the fix for the sheep is, is a good shearing. The fix for us is our conviction by the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. And he points out that for the sheep, initially it's awful and uncomfortable to be sheared, but there's an amazing relief when it's over. And I think that's true for us as well. Deny yourself daily, the Lord says. It may be unpleasant business, but the outcome is so worth it. Now, he goes on to say uh, another cause of cash sheep is basically because they're too fat. And for us, it's, it's like arrival syndrome. We, we think we've made it. And then all of a sudden, as is said in the Proverbs, pride comes before the fall. Uh, and there we are on our backs, feet up in the air. When the shepherd realizes that sheep are being cast because they're fat, he changes their diet, fixes the problem. Keller points out that often, we are most, when we are most sure of ourselves, we are most prone to fall flat. I don't think that because you've done well with business or personal success that you're set and you can go on autopilot, so to say. Keller points out that material success is not no indicator of spiritual health. Uh, the point is that D David said it earlier, be content and trust that God knows what he's doing. <clears throat> he leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keller points out here that sheep will blindly follow each other on the same paths until they become ruts and have major erosion, and us, like them, will cling to the same habits that we've seen ruin other lives. And he goes on to point out that the best way to keep this, this flock safe is to keep them on the move, periodically going to new pasture. But again, like sheep, often we want to go our own way and exert our own will instead of following the will of the shepherd. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our way, our will, is not the way of the Father. But man, it can be so hard to just follow Jesus, to go the right way, the only way that leads to the Father, can it? And Jesus never presented that way of being anything other than difficult. Keller points out that following Jesus carries a high cost and that it's not the way that normal people live and that uh, that is what he, that's what has made the price so prohibitive for most people. Uh, a good friend of mine described it the other day as living with uncommon purpose, and I love that description. Right, we're living outside of the norm. We're set apart, um, and Jesus said that himself. Keller points out seven attitudes that we have to adopt. The first thing um, is that instead of being uh, loving ourselves the most, we have to love Jesus the most and others more than ourselves. Next, instead of being one of the crowd, you have to say, I am willing to be singled out, to be set apart from the gang. The third attitude is instead of insisting on my rights, I'm willing to forego them in favor of others. And he describes this as, as a person who is willing to pocket their pride, to take a back seat or to play second fiddle without a feeling of being abused or put upon. Um, by doing so, you've gone a long way onto new ground with God. The next attitude he talks about is instead of being the boss, we have to be willing to be on the bottom of the heap. He notes that when uh, self-pleasing gives way to pleasing God and others, that a lot of the stress of daily living goes away. The fifth attitude, instead of finding fault with life and always asking why, I'm willing to accept every circumstance of life in an attitude of gratitude. And he points out that we're often quick to forget our blessings, but so slow to forget our misfortunes. When you start digging a hole of negative thought, um, you get to a point when it becomes very hard to dig yourself out. Uh, there's a great book on personal accountability that I, I sometimes give away to people, and it's called Extreme Ownership. It is definitely worth your time to read it. I'll uh, try to remember to put a link to that one in there for you, too. The sixth attitude is foregoing your own will to cooperate and comp comply with the will of God. And the seventh and final attitude relates to the previous one. It says, instead of going my own way, I'm willing to follow Christ and do what He asks. 
And he notes that all of these attitudes have to do with will. And that all the way back to the early saints, they pointed out that nine-tenths of becoming a true follower and a dedicated disciple has to do with will. Basically, it comes down to simple, straightforward obedience, which, as simple as it sounds, isn't easy for most of us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Keller notes that the valleys, um, they're the easiest way to get up a mountain. And they're also the most watered spots. I mean, after all, that is where the water runs down. So it makes sense that you would find water on the way up. Uh, He also notes that predators know this, and they like to hide along the cliffs and the crevices and along the valleys. Um, At times you face flash fuds. Uh, However, through the valley is still the best way to get the flock up to the high country. Jesus told us in John 16, 33, there will be trouble in this world, and also to take heart, which basically means to have your confidence boosted. He has overcome the world. So be confident. Yes, there's going to be hard times. Jesus has already overcome these things. Keller notes that the question is not whether we have many or few valleys. It's not whether those valleys are dark or merely dim with shadows. The question is how do I react to them? And with Christ, I can face them calmly. And with his gracious Holy Spirit to guide me, I can face them fearlessly. I love the way he describes that. As David talks about the rod and the staff, he finds comfort in those. In the book, he talks about how the rod was a cherished tool of the shepherd as an, an extension of his right hand and a symbol of strength and authority. And he would use it to keep himself and his flock safe and also to discipline the sheep when they needed. And Keller relates the rod of the shepherd to the word of God. And in it, we find comfort. And if we apply it properly, it's a tool of discipline and guidance and protection for us. And a staff represents the spirit of God. Keller knows how oftentimes a shepherd will walk along his flock and keep his staff on the side of a, of a favorite sheep as a way to keep in contact, so to say. And he notes that the sheep love it, and it's very comforting to them to have that contact. And the same is for us. When we feel in contact with the Spirit of the Lord, we feel at peace and comforted. Um, you prepare a table before me. I was unaware that before a flock uh, of sheep made it up to the high country for their summer grazing, that the shepherd will go on multiple trips. Uh, he'll make several trips up to the mesa, which is a Spanish word for a table. And he goes before the sheep to clear out any noxious and poisonous weeds, look for fertile feeding ground, um, they spread out important minerals in specific areas to encourage feeding, and they'll kill and trap predators before this flock ever arrives. And I thought, man, what an incredible image that is, that the Lord is going before us in all things to clear the way, <clears throat> to rid us of the poisons, to get rid of the predators so that we can be at peace and be fed on fertile ground. And he recalls a time uh, when, it, when he had a flock on, on a summer mesa, and although he never heard or saw a cougar in his flock at night, morning would come to show one had indeed been among the flock, he says, killed many sheep and disappeared like it was never there. And he goes on to point out that at, at all times, we would be wise to walk a little closer to Christ. This is one sure place of safety. It was always the distant sheep, the roamers, the wanderers that were picked off by predators. And he calls into question whether we truly appreciate the cost to our good shepherd that it took him to prepare our table. When we partake in the communion, an act of thanksgiving for his sacrifice? Are we really appreciating what he went through in those lonely moments in the Garden of Gethsemane and in Pilate's Hall where he was beaten and on Calvary where he hung from a cross and ultimately gave himself up for all of us? And he points out that there's a great mystery that most of us will never figure out. And it's, he says it's bound up inexorably in God's divine love of self-sacrifice, which is so foreign to most of us who are so self-centered. That was a gut punch for me. Uh, in the passage regarding the anointing of our heads with oil, he talks about how sheep will suffer greatly from parasites, especially there's one called a nose fly 
which basically burrows itself in a sheep's nose, lays its eggs. When they hatch, they drive deep. They drive deep into the the uh, nose and head of the sheep, and it drives these sheep mad uh, to the point where they're flailing their heads around, banging their heads on trees, and, and sometimes they even kill themselves trying to get reprieve um, from this constant manning of the flies in their nose. To prevent this, the shepherd will apply an oil concoction to the head and the nose of the sheep, and this will protect the sheep from these flies. Another application of oil to the head uh, of the sheep is during the rut. When testosterone is high, the rams are constantly butting heads, literally butting heads. Um, the, the shepherd will apply an oil to their heads so that they slide off instead of injuring each other. And as applied to the life of the Christian, it says, Our Lord anoints us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus told his disciples about the coming of the Comforter and how with the Spirit we would know peace. Keller makes a special note that one application of the oil is never enough to get a sheep all the way through the summer. It takes multiple applications, and so it is with us as well. One encounter with the Holy Spirit is not enough. It's a daily need for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. I thought that was beautiful. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's a powerful statement uh, of satisfaction in knowing that you're receiving goodness and mercy from your Master. But it's also a statement of what we leave behind. He points out that if goodness and mercy flow to me, they should also follow behind me. Now, we should leave that as our legacy. He talks about sheep manure as a great benefit to the soil. They eat and feed in the lowlands, and they disperse that all the way up to the high country in the sparser areas of the mountains. Uh, and he asks, are, are we leaving a blessing behind us wherever we go? For me, this book was uh, very eye-opening. and uh, for, It was an eye-opening look at Psalm 23, and it made me look at it in a completely different way. Um, it makes a lot of the passage make a lot more sense, and it gave a much deeper meaning to many of the, to many of the verses. I know this was a longer episode than normal, but I wanted to give the book justice, and I still don't know that I did that. Uh, I encourage you, though, if you haven't read it, please get a copy. There will be a link in the show notes over on the website, seekpodcast.show. Uh, let's go ahead and close out a prayer. Lord, thank you for your protection. Your care is the good shepherd over your flock. I praise you for leaving the 99 to rescue me and so many others. And I pray, Lord, that you increase our faith in you and give us opportunity to share your blessings with others as we go along our paths. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the episode today. I really enjoyed putting it together for you, and I hope that you enjoyed hearing it. If you did, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you know somebody else that might like it as well, share it with them. Please don't forget to leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or other episode ideas, you know, things you'd like to hear more about, go ahead and shoot me an email over to thepowerfulpurpose at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.